then. Couple things, just so you're aware of the new year. They're gonna hit really quick, so I just wanna make sure you're aware of them. One is Hot Seat Sunday, where we're going to talk to you. You're, you've been asking questions these last weeks, submitting questions, and we're going to try to give our best to answer them. And we're not professionals. We don't make a job of going out and, and explaining things, but we do follow Jesus and we, we are leading a part of leadership of church. So we're going to provide for you answers that come from scripture that we understand in your questions. And so we hope that that will actually help you as some of the things you're uh, wondering about, you can ask about. Or if we say something, once we get our text feature going, then you can actually follow up with a secondary question. The next thing that follows really quickly is January 7th is our 24-hour prayer. Uh, we are committing right from the start of the year to call on God, and I would ask that you would be part of that. You, it's all through Zoom, so sign up. You can sign up in the foyer. You can sign up online. Uh, sign up for a, a period of time or maybe a couple where you're going to commit to pray with other believers from our church uh, committing our church, committing one another in prayer. I really would ask that you'd make that a part of your, that January 7th, 24-hour time period. Now, I, I, those things I wanted you to be aware of, I just want to get a, a sense, how did Christmas go? Did, like when it comes to the Christmas gifts, like Lester told us, it's all about what's on the inside, right? Like, so when you opened up all those gifts... How did you do? Good Christmas, hand up, good Christmas. Okay, a few people, I see some hands. Some are like this, some are like this. And so I had a great Christmas this Christmas because every gift I opened, every gift, whether big or small, was something I either wanted or needed. And I felt like, man, somebody had been reading my mind and I had some really good, really good gifts. I really appreciated them. You know, sometimes you have some Christmases where you open them up and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do with any of this stuff. Like, why would they think that I would want this stuff? And, and other times it was like my Christmas. And, and, and that just highlights for me the pressure I'm under every Christmas because I, I, want, I, I want to get Crystal, you know, just the right gift, a gift that says how, how important she is to me and how much she means and that she's a great wife. And I want that gift to, to say that. And so she never puts this pressure on me. I do. And so about the, the beginning of December 23rd or 24th, I really get serious about getting that gift, right? No, I, but the beginning of December, I start to look for the gift, but I can never figure it out. It's so much pressure. And every year I scour, you know, the Amazon top 25 list. I listen to other people. I go, you know, I, I, I go through watch TV and watch what's being advertised. And, and I can never seem to find the right gift. I'm always seeking for that perfect gift. But in about 35 years that we've been together, I've maybe hit six times. Six out of 35. That's my record. Six out of 35 where I'm like nailed it. And she, you can just, she always says, oh, thank you. This is so nice. But you can tell, you can tell when you really nailed it. And so about six out of 35, and so that old saying, you know, seek and you will find, apparently doesn't apply to Christmas shopping. Not in my life, anyway. Six out of 35 is not a great record. But that term, seek and you will find, doesn't apply to a lot of things in life. Seek a job, and I guess you can get one, but maybe not the one you want, the one you were really seeking. You can be seeking a spouse and not find one. 
You can be seeking for relief from a health issue and not find it. You can be seeking for financial advancement and not find it. You can be seeking a promotion and not get it. So, so just because you seek it doesn't mean you're going to find it. I mean, we all know that in life, except, except Jesus in a supernatural act in this world promises that if you seek him, you will find them. In all of this life, we can seek a lot of things and never find them, but Jesus says, I guarantee you that if you seek me, you will find me. And so people who seek Jesus find Jesus. He's guaranteed it. People who seek Jesus find Jesus. Now that comes out in the Christmas story and I want to go to the Matthew account of uh, part of the Christmas story. It's it's well familiar and it's um, Matthew chapter two and it says after Jesus, now notice that word after, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So this all that takes place is post Jesus' birth. It's not the night he was born. In fact, Judging by clues in the text, it's somewhere within two years of his birth. Jesus might have been 18 months old when these magi appeared. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now just stop here for a second. Who are the characters that are in this story? Well, we have Jesus, we know about Jesus. We know who he is. And we have Herod, who is the king. Now, Rome ruled the world, this part of the world at that time. But in order to rule in different areas, they would would let kings, they would let individuals set up their kingships. And they would just have to pay the taxes and make sure everything was taken care of. But then the kings actually ruled that area. And Herod was in favor with the the kings or the rulers of Rome at the time. And uh, Herod was uh, ruling when Jesus came on board. Now, he he can be confusing because there are six Herods that are mentioned in the New Testament. This is the first one. This is the granddaddy. This was the one that built everything. This was the one that was, uh, had the most power. But this was the one who's old at this point, and he's paranoid. And he leaves a wake of dead bodies of people he thought were trying to take his throne, including some of his children. That's why he seeks to kill Jesus. He's a very paranoid man at this point in his, uh, this stage of his life. But then there's other characters called the Magi. Now, these are interesting characters. We don't really know much about them other than they were from the east, so probably Iraq, Iran area. And that they came, they saw, they were communicated through the stars. Don't ask me how. They were communicated through the stars. God spoke to them and said the king was born. And then they set out to worship and bring expensive gifts to the king. Now these, these, these are, another word for these people, these magi, would be diviners. They studied the stars. Now it's not like Madame Cherenko, you know, at the local circus who reads tarot cards and tells you your, your future. These were learned individuals who studied all the, the, the works of, of written works that they could get their hands on and studied apparently the stars in order to try to understand what God or the gods in their mind might be doing in the world. 
And we know that when the Jews were exiled 500 years previous to this, they carried their scriptures with them. And so these magi, these diviners and learners, would have had the scriptures and studied it. And in it, in the Old Testament, are all these prophecies about this great king that was going to rule the nations and come and rule the world. And so they'd been feeding on that for 500 years. And then finally, when the king is born, God speaks to them through the stars and saying the king has been born. And they decide to go seek him out. Interesting. Those who seek Jesus find Jesus. Now what I find interesting about these individuals is God spoke to them through the stars. Again, I'm not sure how that worked out. I've been told in ancient world there was an, God gave an art of reading the stars. I've never really come across any support for that. Uh, That the story of salvation is told in the stars. I don't know, I can't read the stars. But they, God spoke to them through the stars. It's a bit weird. It's not really what, you know, we're not supposed to pay attention to horoscopes and all that, but yet here's God speaking through the stars to these people. And God prompts them. He speaks to them in a way that they're going to understand. And they come to worship Jesus. Now, I, I find this interesting because in Acts chapter uh, 17, we're told that God is constantly speaking into this world. Sometimes we get a very, very closed mindset because we think God only works the way we know that he works. But God's working in this world is far larger than what we know. And all we know about how he worked in the past is what he recorded. But that didn't mean that all he did is recorded. It just means what he recorded he did, and he recorded for a specific purpose. But here we know God is working miles and miles away in the east, speaking to these diviners to tell them that the king that they've been reading about in those Hebrew scriptures has finally been born. And then Paul says this in, in chapter 17. He's in Athens, and uh, he, he's there speaking to philosophers and learned people, kind of the magi of Athens, who, who are constantly seeking to understand the world through philosophy. And he s- explains to them in verse 24 that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. There is a God who created everything. So they had many gods. They had a pantheon of gods. But he, Paul says there is one God, and he's created everything, and he's not contained by temples. He's not contained by your understanding or our understanding. He's not contained by our kind of worship. Or he's not contained by what we know. He is greater than all of that. And yet, he, and he speaks to us. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is the God from whom all things in this world have have come. He is the one that's created it. He's the one that provides for it. He's the one that sustains it. And from one man, Paul says, from one man, Adam was a real person. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. It was always God's plan that mankind would go out and inhabit the earth. 
and to fulfill it, and in fact, to rule over it. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God, God knew we would be Canadians. He knew what our boundaries would be. He knew what ages we would come and the philosophical thinking that would happen. He knew how we would live. He knew you would be here, he says. He marked out their appointed times in history, the boundaries of their lands, and God did this so that there was a reason for God making this so, is was that we, that he did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not very far from me. In, in, in a sovereignty that I cannot understand, uh, that, that is triggered by these magi who suddenly appear on the scene because they've read something in the stars, God in his sovereignty is at work in the whole world putting people where they should be in what time they should be there so that they would be in the best place and opportunity to seek God if they so choose to which has incredible ramifications or implications for our lives, and that means you're here because God put you here in this time. I don't understand how in his sovereignty he is able to do all this, but he is, and he does, and people, you, your family, your friends, everybody you work with, play sports with, all of them, every one of us are here because this is the time God has for us, and this is the time we would be most open to seeking him if we are going to seek him. Isn't that interesting? And that the God who speaks to the Magi is the God who's speaking in the lives of people today. God is not, he didn't just start the world and let it go. He is engaged in speaking into this world. It's amazing when you go through scripture, I've always pondered this, that there's these individuals that seem not connected with the biblical story, but they kind of just fall, come into it and go out of it, like Melchizedek. Who was he? And yet he was a priest of God, but he wasn't at all related to the Hebrews. And then Jethro, a priest of God in Midian, this corner of the world, is like, well, how did he ever become a priest of God? He's not at all connected to the Hebrews. Balaam, the guy who had the talking donkey. Read that story, just blow your mind. It's like he, he was a diviner and God spoke to him. I'm like, I don't get this. And he lived north of where Israel was. People came to him because God spoke to him. And then here we have the Magi. It's God working in people's lives. If he's doing it those times, I, I believe based on this verse that he's doing it now in the lives of people. God is constantly speaking, constantly drawing people, prompting them so that they might seek Jesus. That's the work God is doing. And he calls us to be his witnesses, to join with him in that work. And and you know, we have, um, we use that term, my four. You've probably heard me say it a few times, and I know uh, Lester and Greg have talked about my four, and you've seen in our writings. And, and my four is our way of talking about, Springvale's way of talking about uh, our responsibility to be witnesses in the world for Jesus. That, um, that, that God has called all, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to be a voice to direct people to Jesus in your world. But, but we forget, like I spent way too much of my time, I came to Jesus when I was just in my late teens, and my mode of being, pointing people to Jesus was back the truck up and dump the gospel, whether they wanted it or not. 
And I think because a lot of us pastors who talk about uh, you know, being a testimony for Jesus and being a witness for him in your world, you think that's how you're supposed to do it. And you go, well, I couldn't do that. Like, I, 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 well, I can't answer questions and I, I'm not gonna just dump the gospel truck up and dump it on people. And, and we, you, you kind of see a confrontational kind of evangelism, which is, is a kind, but it's for those that are gifted that way. For most of us, that's not really our gifting. And so we think that's the, what we're supposed to do and we go, eh, not so much for me. But, but what scripture teaches is that God is at work in everybody's life, putting them where they're supposed to be, speaking into their life, and we're to join with God in what he's doing in the lives of people around us. Like I said, um, I spent too much time dumping the truck up, not really paying attention to people and their lives and what God might be doing. Um, but God can change even the hardest of hearts and and sometimes the dumbest of pastors. And uh, this, uh, just before COVID, a friend of mine that I met in the gym, uh, he's now a follower of Jesus, and uh, we met, we were you know, building a relationship, and uh, he was a great guy. He found out that he had a very aggressive form of cancer. And uh, so immediately I start praying for him, and I thought, I'm gonna text him and tell him that. I don't know how he'll take it, but I'm going to text. Surely God is speaking as often he does when major illnesses come into our lives. People's attention all of a sudden is open and people then often start seeking Jesus and finding Jesus. So I sent a text, said, hey, praying for you. Let me know if there's anything you do. And he immediately responded, thank you so much. I appreciate your prayer and your support. And then as time went on, I kept texting him the same thing. And sometimes he would respond back, sometimes he wouldn't, but I kept praying for him. And then in the, as I was praying and interceding for him, I got this sense of, you know what? Uh, he and I share this, the through conversations we had, we share this common love for science, sci-fi fantasy type of, like Dune, that kind of genre of, of uh, you, don't, you don't know what Dune is, do you? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of uh, books. And so I had a bunch in my shelf and Crystal uh, and I took a few of them and made a stack. And then I took a Bible and I put it on the stack. And I brought the stack to him and I said, hey, you know, you may be having some time off. So here's some books you might want to read. And I also included a Bible with it. And he just said, okay, thank you very much. And so I left it with him and I continued to pray and continued to text. Sometimes he'd answer, sometimes he wouldn't. And uh, there didn't seem to be, we, we brought him some gifts and some ways to tell him that we were thinking of him, but there didn't seem to be much of a response spiritually, but I just was looking. I knew God was speaking his life. I was trying to join him. And then he got the news that he was probably going to die in two months. And so I, I, as I was praying for him, I just sensed this is my time to, to tell him that I'm here to help in a particular way. So I just text him, hey, um, I walk with a lot of people through death. That's part of what I do. And if you would like me to walk with you through death, maybe answer some questions you have or just come and pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. And I sent it and there was no response. In fact, I never did get a response because my friend died before uh, I ever saw him again. But you know, I don't feel I was a failure as a witness because I didn't dump the gospel truck. I kept pointing him to Jesus in different ways. And God was at work. And when people seek Jesus, they find Jesus. But some people just don't seek Jesus. Some people choose not to. And you can't beat a person into submission to Jesus. It's about 
being a witness, pointing people to Jesus. And if they want to follow, if they want to learn more, if they want to know more, they can. And if they don't, they have that right to choose. But my job as a witness is to point, to figure out where God, but as I intercede for them and as I invest my life into them, I begin to understand where God is at work in their life and then I give them invites that might help them according to how God is already speaking to them. So this whole idea of God, us being responsible to win somebody to Christ is just all wrong. We're responsible to just point people to Jesus. It's God who's at work. He's constantly, we put them here on earth in your life at this time because this is the time that he's going to speak to them. They're most likely to respond if they're going to respond. Now, the rest of the story is... uh, an example of there's the contrast between the Magi who seek Jesus and find him and, and uh, Herod who doesn't seek Jesus and doesn't find him. It's interesting in that contrast. Do we have those uh, on the screen? Yeah. I don't have them on the screen. That's okay. So you notice as we read this story, uh, watch the contrast that comes between Herod and the Magi. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, the Magi come and tell him the king was born, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was with him and he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? Now in Bethlehem Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah. Now, what I find interesting here is these magi who are from a way, way far away, who are not even people of God, know that the king is there, and the leaders and the religious leaders and wise men and and philosophers of the Hebrews, I have no clue. They're not even looking. Yet they know where he would be born, which is about five miles from where they're living. So when Herod called the magi, verse 7, secretly, and he found out, Uh, found from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now what I find interesting here is they came from uh, months and months of journey to, to find this king. Herod is five miles away and he won't get off his chair to come and see if the king is here. He sends somebody in his place. They spend, our equivalent, tens of thousands of dollars for a journey to come to see this king and with these expensive gifts that they're going to give to the king and Herod spends nothing and he in fact wants to take the life of the king as we find out. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star where they had seen it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And they give up everything. They, they put, it's so costly and sacrificial for them to seek Jesus. But they find Jesus. And Herod is right on the doorstep and the religious leaders are right there, but they're unwilling to even walk five miles for Jesus. 
See, people that seek Jesus will find him, but people that don't seek him won't find him. And so this, this is a funny contrast in this story. The people you least expect to seek Jesus find him, and the people you most expect to seek him don't, and they don't find him. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, this is, this, is, this is a principle that's true all through our lives. It's true in our lives. It's true if you're not a follower of Jesus. In other words, you have never come to the point where you said, you know what? I need to, to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, there's a, a lesson in this for you, and that is if, if you seek Jesus, you will find him. And where God will point you is to a place where you will come to Jesus and put your faith in him for the reconciliation of your sins with God through the forgiveness of sins. In other words, that you will choose to put your faith in Jesus. That you will confess by admitting your sin, that you'll believe that Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross pays for your sin, and that you'll choose to follow Jesus. In other words, you'll repent from the lifestyle you've been living and now choose to live out the life that God calls you to live. And if you're seeking Jesus, anywhere in York region, I'm talking to those of you here, but those of you online, if you're seeking Jesus, you haven't really made that confession of, to Jesus to put your faith in him, then he is calling you. That's where he's directing you to. And so maybe this year, the lesson of Christmas for you is, you know what? I need to start seeking Jesus. I need to start seeking him, because uh, I'm never going to find him if I don't seek him. To seek him for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. But this is also true of us, this principle of seeking and finding. And you may be saying, that's okay, I've already trusted Jesus as my Savior. I put my faith in him. I prayed that prayer when I was a child. I prayed that prayer 10 years ago. I prayed it 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But the, the process of growing closer to Jesus and walking him is the same. As we seek him, we find him. But it's very possible to pray the prayer, but then the heart grow cold toward Jesus. That if we do not continue to seek him in our lives, then our heart grows cold toward him. And funny enough, we don't find him in our lives. People who say, I have walked with Jesus, I have made a decision to follow Jesus years ago, but I never really feel him or see him or sense him in my life. And, and I think what is a what, what our particular affliction is as people today in um, our cultural Christianity in Canada is we have a very consumeristic mindset when it comes to God. And by that I mean we worship ease and we avoid pain. That's the, the driving force of our lives. We want, the, we want life to be you know, relatively easy and avoid really any major pain in our lives. And, and that's why we worship too, because we'll come and we'll, we'll come worship God and we'll pray and, and we'll seek God and we'll do some things to please God because really in my heart, what I want most is I want God to give me a life that's good that doesn't have a whole lot of difficulty in it. And since he's God, he can do that. I have been shocked how, how dominant that theme is in my life. So Crystal and I have, I've shared with you how Crystal and I have gone through five years of, with our son in a custody battle for his daughter. 
And uh, we were, we were, we've walked with him. And then I thought, you know, I prayed and we went into that and I was thinking this will be a year and we'll be out. And uh, we prayed for God, you know, God's will and God to protect that little girl and God to protect our son and God to do what is right and, and, you know, show the lies and show the positive and do what's best for her. And, you know, we did all those prayers and, and it just kept going on and on and on. And God didn't answer the prayers that we wanted to. And I was getting so frustrated that God wasn't answering how we thought he should answer. And through the five years, God gave me one verse for this whole thing, and that was, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That was my verse. I'm like, oh, this can't be good. And so for five years, Crystal and I walked this path and, and struggled with the fact that God wasn't answering prayers and he was taking so long to do things and, and make things right and answer the, for the good of those people that were involved in this. And we just didn't understand until finally we got to the point where we realized that true faith in God is not believing he will do what I pray for him to do. True faith in God is believing that what God does is what is best and I will trust him with it, even if it isn't what I want or think I need. Let me say that again. True faith is not believing that God will answer prayers the way I have prayed or answering what I've prayed for him. True faith is when I am willing to trust what God gives me even when I don't want it and my heart will still seek him. And so as I was seeking Jesus, I found Jesus, but, <laughs> wow. I found that a lot of my seeking of Jesus was inward, southward, consumeristic. And maybe that's what God is saying to us as a church, that as you go forward, as you go into this, war, this, this year that's coming up, the Christmas story is about two people that, that, that Jesus was the centerpiece and the Magi sought him and found him and Herod didn't seek him. He wanted what he wanted and he never did find Jesus. And so the, that can be our story too. We can go into this year and, and we can say, well, I'm not really gonna seek Jesus and we never will find him. But, or we could be like the Magi, seeking Jesus and finding him. But it's going to mean my, my experience walking with Jesus is that he keeps bringing me back to things where he calls me to go deeper. So he calls me to be de- give more. Well, I am giving. No, give more. Ha- reach out to your my four. I am reaching out to my four. No, reach deeper. Pray deeper. Invest deeper. Invite more. Serve. I am serving. No, no, no. Serve deeper. Serve out of a passion. Serve out of your heart. Make a commitment and keep it. See, Jesus calls us worship. 
God has really been on me about, Ed, don't just come, this is why I've been on you, by the way, Ed, don't just come in and wrote, sing some words and you know, not think about them and then get up and preach and, and, and just, you engage your heart when you come in to worship with my, my children and your brothers and your sisters. You be one who's seeking me. You seek me from the heart. You think about the words you're praying. You think about what song comes after another. You think about the scriptures, the prayers. You you engage from the heart. Don't just let your mind go anywhere. Come worship. It's deeper than you ever have before. And then as I told you this story that the five-year struggle that Crystal and I went through, trust me deeper. Seek me. You will find me. But it means like the Magi, if you're going to seek Jesus, you're probably going to be, have to spend some stuff. You're going, it's going to be costly. There's going to be sacrifice involved. But when you seek him, you will find him. It is a universal principle in Scripture. Jesus promised, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. So this year, what's your challenge? What's God calling you to go deeper into to seek him? It'll probably be different for each of you. But it's your response to what he brings in your life. Will you seek him? And if you do, you will find him. Or will you choose not to? That's the choice you must make. Jesus, I pray that that choice will become obvious to us that the things that cloud our minds, the fears, maybe the guilt or shame, the busyness, the responsibilities, everything that's in our lives sometimes clouds us to understanding your voice. And so my prayer is that we will understand clearly what you're calling us to seek you for, and then we'll hold on to the promise that when people who seek you find you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together.